Judges uh, chapter 3. Well, this is where we actually get to our first judge, Othniel. And he is the younger brother of Caleb. Remember old rough, tough Caleb? Um, he, uh, he has a little brother here who ends up being raised up to be the first judge of Israel. Remember the progress uh, or the progression for Israel. They would um, become lax in their walk with him and their following of the Lord. And um, they would forget God in their rebellion. And then they would become oppressed by their own sin of their own making. Um, and then they cry out to God and God raises up a deliverer for them. And that'll be the progress for the next uh, 13 different judges as we go through this. And it'll be, it'll be repetitive. You'll see, you know, it's hard not to read this and say, can't they, can't they figure this stuff out? You know, but there's, there's time, obviously, that's, that's, that's going on here, 40 years at a time, and then they all die off. And, and the people that have known this piece for 40 years, uh, they, and that's where we have to be careful in our own walk with Jesus. We know what it's like to walk with the Lord and have a peaceful life, have him straighten things out. Um, and we can become complacent, uh, forgetting where we came from and what God had delivered us from. It's the same thing for them. And so we don't want to be too hard on them. I would imagine God would say the same thing in my life or maybe in your life also. Why do we have to keep going around this mountain? You know, why, why didn't you learn the first time or the second time or the twelfth time for me in some cases? And so uh, we start that progress today in this chapter 3. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught uh, to know war, um, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all Canaanites, the Sidonians, uh, the Hivites, who dwelt in, the, in uh, Mount Lebanon, from Mount Baal Hermon uh, to the entrance of Hamath, and they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Since our first break, something, I don't know if you noticed that in that parenthetical statement there, he left those folks to teach them war. And I, and I throw that out because a lot of us uh, maybe didn't know that that was part of God's plan for our lives as well, to teach us war. Um, we live in a society that's very anti-war, and I understand that. Nobody likes war. Um, nobody's uh, looking forward to it. Well, there may be some uh, that do. But as a Christian, you find yourself on the other side of things. You want to make sure, you know, we want peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God. But for those that won't have peace, there, war is a necessary part of our walk with Jesus. If you don't war against your sin, if you don't know what that's like to war, Oh, well, that's a different kind of war, J.D. You're talking about warring against sin. Well, I'm thinking about guns and, and people and bloodshed and all that. It's no different. It's the same thing. It's the same mentality. It's a warrior spirit. It's a, it's a heart. It's a determination. It's a will. And uh, very important that we understand that. God says, I physically left these people, these enemies of mine, in the nation of Israel, within their people, amongst their people, to teach them war. I want them to learn to fight for what is right, for fight for righteousness, and to keep that mindset, to never become complacent um, to the point where you forget God and what he had to do. God fights. God is a God of war. Uh, the, the phrase that, or the, the, the verse that most people use for the, the anti-war group uh, is um, Isaiah 2. If you want to turn there, um, I'll read it to you. But you can also read along with me. Uh, we'll start in, let's see, verse 4. Um, he shall, Jesus, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And I, and I picked this verse because this is what they use, and you'll see that even today as they crush the weapons that they've seized or confiscated, and we're, we're, we're fulfilling this verse, they say. And these are Christians that believe this. Well, you know, follow it all the way through. This is when Jesus comes and is ruling and reigning on the earth. This is when, during his thousand-year reign, and afterwards, this is a time when he is the king. He's not there yet. We're not in that place yet. Um... It says, neither shall they learn war anymore, which brings us to our verse today. 
these people were left, these enemies were left so that we could learn war because we need to wage war until Christ comes again. And when Christ comes and he wages war, in fact, that's how Revelation 19 ends is with Christ coming with the sword out of his mouth and all those who are opposed to him get perished. They perish by that sword. It says he's a He's, the, he's righteousness. He's got a robe of righteousness that's it's soaked in blood. These are images that people don't necessarily associate with Christianity or with Christ. And they don't get that. It's a battle. We're in a battle. Good versus evil is constantly at war right now. Uh, being a, a conscientious objector is not an option for the Christian. And, and scriptures will say that here in our passage here. It says that those that uh, didn't come to the help of the Lord, they're accursed. There's a point, there's a, there's a heart attitude that we have to have. Um, and so that's the verse they use, but that, that isn't for now. That's, that's later when Christ comes, when he rules and reigns after the final battle, then he judges the nations. But right now, he's called us to, to be those people, to, be, to stand in the gap, to be that restraining force. We're called to that. Now, Moses writes a song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 3, that actually describes God because he's been with God, walking with God for so long. The description of the Lord is he is a Lord of war. He understands that about the Lord. He's seen that side of God. He's seen the burning bush. He's seen God's uh, miraculous creation and, and the beauty of it all. But he's also seen God stand up and fight for his people. And so he writes this song about the Lord and he says, the Lord is a Lord of war. That was something he learned. That's why you write songs like that. You write things that you've learned. This is something I want the world to know, something I've discovered about God. He's a God of war. And we need to learn that as Christians. Some of you know that. And we need to have that right perspective too. You can't go far over here and you can't go too far over there. But um, I see a lot of that. The world creeping in and, and having an influence and, and, and nullifying Christians and taking away their spirit and their heart for righteousness and to stand up for it. It's best just to keep quiet. Best to just live. The Bible says we need to live a peaceable, quiet life. That was under Nero. <laughs> Oppression, um, thrown to the lions. We live in a free country. We're called to stand up. My birthday's coming up. I don't want you to remember my birthday, but I do want you to vote. That's Tuesday, November 6th. You have an obligation to, as a Christian, to vote. We set out voter guides for one candidate and one candidate only. I wish I could put out something for everything. I didn't have the resources to do that. We couldn't find the right things for that, but um, at least you'll know who to vote for Senate anyway in our country, or in our, in our state anyway. Um, as a Christian, we're, we're, we're called to that. Every one of you, if you're registered to vote, should vote this Tuesday. Take the time. Skip work. I don't care. <laughs> vote. Go before work. Go after work. Um, but get there and vote. This is not a time for us to sit back passively and, and, and just be mousy little spineless Christians. We need to stand up and do what's right. And so Moses says he's a God of war. David writes in Psalm 144, one about God being a God of war and he trains my hands for war. In 1834, uh, that Psalm, David writes about how God trains his hands for war and his fingers for battle. God wants us to be ready. If I don't have that heart and that mindset, I'm going to be blindsided by it. It's called situational awareness. That's one of the things you learn and should get accustomed to. I watched this funny video on on a, well, it's not too funny because the guy gets kind of hurt. I don't like fail videos. I'm not that kind of guy. But this is, he was in the ring with bulls, so he's got it coming. <laughs> and there's a bunch of guys with yellow shirts on, and they're the ones that I guess are the ones that are running away from all the bulls to see who can last the longest. And there's just these bulls running around, just picking these guys off. And I'm like, well, it's your fault for jumping in there so I can laugh at you. Well, this guy is always looking the wrong way, and this one bull catches him and throws him, and he looks this way at this one. Another bull comes from this way. I'm like, this guy has zero situational awareness. He needs to swivel. Turn your head. Get your head on a swivel and look around and see what's going on. As Christians, there's so many that are so stiff-necked, and they don't, they, their head is not on a swivel. And if you're not prepared for what's coming, if you're not ready for... I don't know, any kind of spiritual attack against you or your family, you need to be aware of that. I'm not talking about just physically. That's always a real possibility. At the gas station at midnight, you kind of want to know what's going on around you. I'm talking about spiritually, though. What are my kids watching? 
What are they doing on their phones? Do you have situational awareness of that? Are you blindsided when you find out your daughter's run away with some guy she met online? Where did this guy come from? What do you mean it's been going on for a year and a half? Situational awareness. Got to have that mindset. The enemy wants to destroy your families. He wants to tear you apart. That's what he does. He's called the destroyer. None of us should be surprised at that. And so David says, he trains for my hands for battle and my fingers for war. Revelation 19, I've already described to you. This is Jesus coming back with his warriors, us, in the final war. And he thwarts all of his enemies. He kills them. He actually taught, he describes it in such a way that I think most people would blush. He says, come, dine, telling the birds to come dine on the flesh of kings. Ooh, nobody likes to see that raven, you know? Nobody likes to see that stuff and, and, and picking at that. It's gross. It's scary. These are Sunday school coloring pages as far as I'm concerned. They need to know. It's important. That's why we come to Christ. That's why we're with him is because we've lost that battle with our sin nature. And we had to come and get help. He had to come save us from that and to deliver us from that. Very important that we have that. And so in chapter 3, the first thing he says is, I've left these people here, these enemies, so that they might know war. Thus the children of Israel dwelt, verse 5, among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. This is something specifically spoken of by the Lord and warned of by God in Deuteronomy 7, verses 3 through 4. Do not let them intermarry. Don't let them intermarry. Because they're going to cause you to fall away from me and to start serving their other gods. That's very important. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend that you're currently dating is not a believer in Jesus and doesn't love Jesus, you're not to be married to them. You're not even to be dating them. Very important. Well, I think they might get to be saved. It doesn't matter if he thinks the sun rises and sets on you every single morning, Juliet. If he doesn't love Jesus Christ, he's going to lead you away or you'll be dragging him to church or worse yet, you'll be sitting there by yourself. It's going to be a battle your whole life. Be careful of that. Be warned of that. God doesn't warn us of these things because he thinks that you'll be the one to beat the odds. Never called us to that. He warns us because it's a danger and a threat. And so they did it. Even though God had told them specifically not to, they went ahead and did it. And so this is where Othniel steps in. Verse 7, so the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of uh, Cushan, uh, Rishathaim, uh, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served this Cushan, uh, Rishathaim. Eight years they served him. Um, they became subservient to him. Uh, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Canaz, uh, Caleb's younger brother. So it's a nephew, I guess. Um, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. That's important. Underline that. This Othniel wasn't just some giant guy. And we're going to see that same thing with Samson. If you've ever seen a picture of Samson, he's one of the latter judges. Um, uh, whenever you see a picture of Samson, he's a big guy, isn't he? He's got full of muscles because he was the strong guy. He was the guy that pushes the pillars down. He was the guy with the long hair. But if you read the story carefully, everybody asks Samson, where does your strength come from? Now, if he was a muscle-bound bodybuilder, nobody would ask that. How do we get that? How come he's so strong? They say, well, because he lifts 400 pounds. He bench presses 650 or whatever. You know, no wonder he's so strong. No, they looked at this guy. They're like, how in the world? He's probably a skinny little guy. They couldn't figure out how this guy, he had long hair, skinny, couldn't get a job to save his life, probably the way, I'm just kidding. You know, he just looked funny. How come you're so strong, they asked him. I say that because you need to underline verse 10. It's the spirit of the Lord coming upon these men and women, which is next, is what causes them to have victory over the enemies. It has nothing to do with the man's strength or the woman's strength. It has nothing to do with them at all. It has to do with the spirit of the Lord coming upon them. And that's why they were able to do what they did. And so the Spirit of the Lord came upon this Othniel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan, uh, uh, <laughs> I've, I've done this many times, but it's still difficult, um, Rishathiam, uh, king of Mesopotamia, into the hand 
and his hand prevailed over this guy that he keeps mentioning over and over again. So the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, or Kenaz died. For 40 years they had peace as long as this judge was alive. And then they're going to fall back into the same problems again. The problem with this is, for us, is you can only ride the coattails of someone else's faith for so long. And when that person dies, where are they? I hear lots of stories about people coming back to the Lord, and they say, you know, I'm glad I'm back to God now. I'm glad that I've received him as my Lord and Savior. I remember my grandfather was a preacher. And my question is, what happened? You know, how long did that family ride on the coattails of that one man that served God his whole life? Really appreciated him. He was always the nice one. He always looked out for me. He was like the dad that I never had or whatever it was. They described this great man of God or woman of God in their past. Could be a grandmother even. But somewhere in the long line, when they died, the family just dropped off the map spiritually until God stepped in and someone comes up and receives Christ as their Lord and Savior and that whole process begins again. I say that because it doesn't have to. And I also say that because I want to warn you, if you're walking with Jesus as a parent, don't let your kids ride on your coattails. They need to make a personal profession of faith. They need to have that walk with Jesus. It can't be on your coattails. Otherwise, when you die, when you pass on, they'll perish. And they may come to know the Lord later on the hard way. It doesn't have to be like that, though. Train them up in the way that they should go. So when you die, that it just carries on. That, that that walk with the Lord carries on. Um, and so that's what happens here. For 40 years, they rode his coattails. They didn't. In, in Zechariah, um, verse, chapter 4, verse 6, it says, it's not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And that goes along with that verse 10. It doesn't, doesn't matter how strong you are, how great a personality you ha have. You know, you have those outgoing people that don't have a problem getting in front of people. You know, they seem to be that strong person at work or that strong person in your family. That's not how God works. God picks those that are his, who will be used by him. doesn't matter if you're, oh, I just don't have that kind of, I just don't know if I can. Good, you're perfect and ready to be, or you're ripe for picking for God to use you. When you start thinking you've got it down, like I've, I've been taking speech class, I'm getting really good at this, my note taking is great, I, you know, uh, be careful. You begin to rest in your own strength. It's not by power. It's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's how God works. He uses his spirit. Now we move to Ehud. This is even gross, even more gross. <laughs> and the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So 40 years is up. They begin to forget where God delivered them from, and they fall back into the same old habits. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel and took possession of the city of Palms. So the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. It took him 18 years to cry out this time. Note that too. Each group takes a different amount of time before they finally give up and cry out to God. They can't do it in their own strength. They can't, I won't, I won't do this anymore. Sometimes it's a year, four years. Sometimes it's 18 years. And I say that because some of you are praying, this International Day of Prayer, some of you are praying for lost folks in your lives, family members that just don't know Jesus, and you're wondering how long is it going to take for them to open their eyes and receive Christ? Sometimes it takes 18 years or longer. Keep praying for them, though. They have to come to the end of themselves. They have to come to the end of their own strength, their own abilities, their own uh, programs, whatever it is that they're resting on. Sometimes they just have to come to the end of that. Or for they say, I've got nothing left to cling to. Nothing else can help me out. Nothing else can help me out of this pit. I've got to cry out to God. He's the only one that can get me out of this. It takes him 18 years under Eglon. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud. So these are great names for kids, by the way. Othniel and Ehud. These are guys you want to, okay. And Shamgar. I don't know about Shamgar. He's next. And Deborah. Um, Chapter 4 is great. That's, that's women's chapter. I love that one. That's a good one. So I'm going to get there. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite. That's a tiny little tribe. A left-handed man. So all you left-handed folks, this is your day. All right? 
He's a left-handed guy. Now, they say that because a right-handed guy, most people are right-handed, so when they check you for weapons or anything like that, they check the right hand, they check, they check that kind of stuff. So that's why he puts that in there. He's a left-handed guy. That's the only reason. Um, so he sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Tribute means we understand you're the boss. Here's, all of our, here's, here's most of our stuff that we grew this year, and we'll keep the scraps that are left over kind of thing. Tribute. You bring tribute. Pain. Royal pain. Um, now Ehud made himself a dagger. This is going to be important later on. Um, later on, the scriptures tell us um, that there isn't a shield uh, and there isn't a spear found in 40,000 of Israel. And I bring that up because this guy had to make his own dagger because they didn't have any weapons. They've been conquered for 18 years. Their weapons have been confiscated, destroyed, turned into plowshares. Okay? They've been destroyed. So this guy has to come up with something and makes this double-edged, uh, a cubit in length. It's an 18-inch dagger. That's a big dagger. It's not what you get. That's like a little sword is what it is. But that's, that's the dagger he's got. And he fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. Um, so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now, Eglon was a very fat man. Bible says that, not me. They had to describe this to him because of the next disgusting description coming up as he gets assassinated. When he had finished presenting the tribute, um, this Ehud guy presents the tribute, but he himself, uh, and he sent away the people who had carried in the tribute, leave, leave me, I've got to talk to the king by myself, but he himself turned back from the stone image, um, uh, stone images that were at Gilgal, those are the idols that they're worshiping, and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. And he said, keep silence, and all who attended him went out from him. So it's just Eglon and Ehud in this room by themselves. He's going to whisper in his ears, I've got something to tell you, a secret message. And this is so you can get close to the guy. Okay, it's a secret. Um, if you ever watch our president or any president for that matter get surprised by a handshake or something, everybody's told there's this guy at every inauguration that shows up and sees if he can slip a coin or something into the hand of the next president. Always slips him something. And see, everybody that's going to give the president something, um, they have to go through Secret Service. The Secret Service has to check it out, make sure what it is, you know, dust it, make sure there's no kind of poison on it or anything like that. And so they check it and they say, yeah, you can give this to the president. Well, this guy tries to get by all the security, and he does every single year or every four years. Gets by and hands them something, and Secret Service just go ballistic. They can't believe this guy does this every time because they're supposed to be there. You watch as they go through the handshake line or whatever, see someone surprise the president with a hug, hug or something like that. They want to reach out and grab him. You watch those Secret Service guys, their eyes get about this big. And all of a sudden, these guys that are all looking the other direction, all look at this one person like, what are they? They're ready to pounce, you know? That's the idea here. That's the idea. This guy, you can't get close to him. You can't get near him. Okay, and so he says, I want you all to have a secret message for you. And the king says, leave me alone. We have a secret message. Uh, it's a secret message, all right. It's 18 inches long. And he said, keep silence. And he let them all go. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. He's a big guy. He needs some air conditioning. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Then Ehud reached with his left hand, because he's left-handed, there it comes, took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. Hello, anybody want to have breakfast? This is not what you thought you were going to get this way. Unless you read ahead, you did like, oh man, this is not the time to visit this church. Well, we go through every verse. Here it is. <laughs> you get that picture? Ooh, it's, I mean, it's gone. The whole thing is in him. <laughs> and then it, you know, it explodes. Another coloring page for Sunday school. <laughs> what's this, Jimmy? <laughs> Wouldn't you? F yeah, we won't really do it, but it's just funny to think of, isn't it? <laughs> look, Grandma, look what I made in Sunday school. Put that on your fridge. I don't, that, that's, a, that's a weight loss program right there. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper... So he, okay, I, I skipped a big part. Then Ehud went out through the porch, shut the doors of the upper room, and locked the doors behind him, okay? When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. So they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. He's going to the bathroom. That's what they think. So they waited till they were embarrassed. I don't know what that means. Like, man, that's taking a long time. And still... 
he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them, and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sirah. Uh, uh, and, and it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim, and the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains, and he led them. And then he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. So they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time, they killed about 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Uh, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, uh, and the land had rest for 80 years. That's a good long time, 80 years. So this guy must have been young, this Ehud. Young guy, for 80 years they had rest. Um, and then they just move on to the Shamgar. Now, before we move on, I want to notice something here. It just took one moment. Uh, sometimes it takes a lot of battles and, uh, and a lot of things are going on. And Othniel had, you know, there's a, there's a big deal. This guy just needed one moment. It just took one guy to light the fire. And one guy says, I'm going to get close. I'm bringing the tribute. It's my opportunity at this time to do this. Okay, and he, I'm going to get close to him. It's me and me alone. And if I can take this guy out, the rest of the guys will follow. He gets this done. He gets this one thing done that God's called him to. And he comes back and he blows the trumpet. He says, God has delivered them into our hands. I've just taken Eglon, Eglon out. I just got him. Come on, guys, follow me. And they went down in the spirit of the Lord. And they had victory over them, over all of these Moabites. It was, it was amazing. Um, now, Shamgar, real short, just one verse. This guy gets one verse. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath. Uh, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also, he also delivered Israel. That's it. We don't have much else on this guy. And so, well, you certainly can't expound on that. Oh, yeah, I can. Here's the thing. Shamgar killed 600 men, probably a lot more, because it talks about how they continued to you know, get victory and all that. He, he delivered Israel out of the hands of, of all these folks, the Philistines. Remember, there's lots of battles going on at the same time. There could be judges at the same time. This guy's taking care of Eglon, and this guy's taking care of um, this other, uh, these, the Philistines down here, they're doing battle. With an ox goad is what the Bible decides to put about this guy. 600 men with this ox goad. An ox goad, you've heard it's hard for you to kick against the goads, Right? Uh, he said that to Paul. Jesus said that to Paul. Paul, it's hard for or Saul. It's hard for you, Saul, to kick against the goads. Uh, Paul had been yoked, spiritually speaking, was supposed to be pulling the cart, and, and Jesus, and he wasn't. And so when an ox is stubborn and won't pull the cart, there's this long stick that they had pointed on the end, and they'd, they'd poke him in the, in the, right behind their heel just to get him to start walking. Poke him, and then they'd start walking. It's like jumpstart your car back then, you know? You poke this guy, poke this thing. And so it's just a long stick with a point on it. Killed 600 guys with it. It's not even technically a spear. This guy used what he had in his hand is the point. There aren't any swords. There aren't any shields. In 40,000 of Israel, they'd all beaten their weapons into plowshares because their oppressors made him do it. And, and here it is. He just used what's in his hand. He's probably just some farmer guy. We don't know the story exactly. Just poking, poking. And some Philistine starts bothering him. Hey, Philistine, how's that plowing going? Like plowing my field? I don't know. I'm making this up. I'm adding to God's word. You can throw it out, but we don't know what's happening here. So I get this picture. He just decides to take an ox goat. It's in his hand. And he just gets kind of excited about it. He just starts taking everybody out. And he's like, this is easier than I thought because the spirit of the Lord was upon him. I smile because... Some of us are waiting for something to come to us before we actually do something for God. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do for God. I'm just waiting for that this, or I'm waiting for that, or I'm waiting for whatever. What do you have in your hand? What do you have right now in your hand? You don't need anything special. You don't need a special weapon. When I first, uh, when they ordained me, you know, they recognized my ordination and, and, and said, yeah, you can go be a pastor. And here you guys sit. I don't know why, but here we are. I thought, well, now's the time to get that cool Bible. And I ordered the most expensive Bible you could find. It was a Thompson chain edition. I don't know if you know what that means. It means it's like three times thicker than it needs to be because it chains you through all of the words and everything. And it was cow skin. I think that Bible cost me like $180 or $190. It was just a primo Bible. Um, and that was awesome. And I had that old blue truck, I think. It was back then. 
or I had a car that was leaking anyway, and I had left it on the floorboards of my car down there, and it got wet in there inside the car. And so when you know when a book gets wet, it kind of does that. This super expensive Bible had mold on one side, and it had just fanned out like that, and it was like now 10 times thicker than it needed to be. It was just God's way of saying, you know, you, you were fine with the, with the one that was given to you as a gift award Bible, you know, the ones that are made of paper, basically. You don't need all that. Just teach what's in it. It doesn't matter what it looks like. It doesn't matter what the case is or what binding-wise. Who cares? It's the Word of God that changes people's lives anyway. And that was a good lesson for me. You know, I thought, well, you better look like a pastor if you're going to, you know, I thought I'd trick people. If I looked like a pastor, maybe they'd think I was one. Um, So I got this really great Bible and, no, no, just teach the Bible. Just teach what it says. If you teach my Word, I'll change people's lives. All right. So I just go verse by verse. Yep. Just go verse by verse. Teach it. Shamgar uses what's in his hand. What do you have in your hand? Just use it. Just use whatever God's given you right now, right where you're at, in your walk with the Lord. Use it. Chapter 4. When Ehud was dead, and Shamgar killed 600 with an ox goad, I threw that in there, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, remember that name, who dwelt in Herosheth, Hagoyim. Uh, okay. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron, uh, and for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Remember those chariots of iron were always a tough thing for Israel to get over. It just, they're just too big. They're like tanks back then. Now Deborah, or Deborah, Depends on how you want to pronounce it. We'll say Deborah, since we've got some Debras in the crowd here. Right, Debbie? Deborah. Uh, a prophetess, the wife of Lipidoth. So, Mike, you're Lipidoth. We'll call you Lipidoth. Was judging Israel at the time. And she would sit under the palm uh, tree of Deborah, uh, between Ramoth and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. So she was a prophetess. So they'd say, what does God want us to do here? And she'd prophesy and say, this is what God wants you to do here. And that's what she did. That's how she judged, okay? Um, then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, Abinoam from Kadesh uh, in Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, go and deploy uh, troops at Mount Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun, uh, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon, and I will deliver him into your hand. This is what the prophetess was supposed to tell this guy. Hasn't God told you to do that? Now, maybe God had already spoken to him and he wouldn't go, right? So he's waiting for confirmation. All right, we'll give him that. So he gets confirmation from the judge, the prophetess of Israel. And she says, hasn't God told you to go do that? Now go do this. Once you guys get deployed, I'm going to deploy. Don't don't forget that. God's going to deploy the enemy against you. In other words, the enemy is under his control at that time also. He doesn't cause evil. He isn't the inventor of evil, the creator of evil, but he'll use it. He'll allow it. Like, I'm going to keep him back till it's time. You guys all set? Okay, ready, sister? Go. And he lets Sisera come after these guys. That's the picture here. Here's what Barak says to her. If you'll go with me, then I will go. But if you'll not go with me, I will not go. Dude, you know. This is a rarity that you see a woman leading Israel. But you can see why God's chosen a woman to lead Israel. Because this is the best of the men they've got to choose from. This is Barak guy. This woman's out there prophesying. She's sitting there giving judgment because there's not a man that's willing to do it. Nobody's willing to step up to it. And I don't say that because that's my opinion. Later on, it's going to say that here. But I'm telling you ahead of time, she's sitting here being judged because of this guy's attitude right here. God has told me to tell you as a prophetess that you are going to have victory and to do this, and you won't go if I don't go. It's a sad state when men won't lead when they won't lead their homes, when they won't lead their countries, when they won't lead. And this is where the nation of Israel finds themselves. Um, No, we'll move on. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. See, she said that. 
I'm not supposed to go with you. This is supposed to be your moment. This is supposed to be your time to step up and be the deliverer. This is supposed to, all the glory is supposed to go to you. But if I go, none of that's going to happen. It's going to go to a woman instead, which is not God's primary desire here. She knows that. She says that. I want it to go to you. God wants it to go to you, but I'll go because it needs to get done. And if you won't go, I'll go with you. But here's what's going to happen at the end of chapter uh, four, we're going to read a whole chapter, chapter five of Deborah's song. She sings it, but it's about her. This guy blew it. And guys, we can blow it so often. We're so easy and so willing to sell our responsibility over, to give it up. It's just easier if she does it. It'd just be so much better if she did it, you know? Then I don't have to do it. She's the one that wants to go to church. Fine, take the kids to church. Then I don't have to go, you know, kind of thing. Sad. It's a sad state. Don't be a barrack. So she says, I'll go. I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and went up with 10,000 men under his command. And Deborah went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite of the children of, Ho of uh, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had separated himself from the Canaanites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zanaim, uh, or I think that's how it's pronounced, which is beside Kadesh. Now that's important because Heber the Kenite is going to come in later on with Sisera coming. Okay, so they got to get this tent. There's our Bedouin people. Tribe here, tribe here, tribe here. This guy's kind of mobile. So he's a tent, he follows his goats around, he stays out in the wilderness. And there's still um, Bedouin people in Israel to this day and in, in all of the mid, uh, Middle East. Um, and so he's that guy. He's, he's just a Middle Eastern guy. He's, a, he's an Israelite who's just kind of just out there. Not in a town. You kind of never know where he's going to be next week. He's just out moving around. That's who this guy is. Heber the Kenite of the children of Hobab. So that's who he is. And they reported to Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him from Herosheth uh, to Hygorum, uh, to the river Kishon. So he gets all of his guys here. Then Deborah said to Barak, up. She's got to tell this guy to get up. For this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. So they're winning, right? Sisera, the leader of the enemy here, alighted, means he jumped off his chariot and fled away on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and, his, and the army as far as Herosheth, Hagoyim, uh, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. They were all wiped out, completely slaughtered. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. That's that Bedouin guy who's kind of away from everybody. Never know where he's going to be week to week. For there was peace between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the house of Heber the Kenite. There is peace between this enemy and this guy. He just kind of learned to live with him. It's okay. Jabin's Jabin. It's who he is. We're friends. He leaves me alone. We leave him alone. No big deal. And that's where they had left it. That's the leader of this household, this Bedouin guy. Wife doesn't feel the same way. JL, another great name for, for a young lady. If you ever want to name a young lady, name her JL or Deborah. Um, because this is this guy's wife. Here's what she does. So he runs into this tent, runs, finds this guy, you know, runs into him as he's running away from the battle. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my Lord, turn aside to me. Do not fear. She's sneaky. And when he had turned aside with her into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent. And if any man comes and inquires of you and says, is there a man in here? You shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her right hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for it was, he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. Ew, you know? That's another great page to color. Cheery she is. Here's the thing. 
And this is one I want to bring out of this before we get to Deborah's song quickly. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but we're going to do our best. This is a housewife. This is a housewife who's been moved out into the sticks. This is a housewife who loves the Lord and her husband doesn't. This is a housewife who's been praying to God and waiting for an opportunity. God, how are you going to use me out here? I wish I could be used more of you. How am I ever going to be used? And here comes Sisera, the leader of your enemies, to your tent while your husband's gone and decides to go to sleep on your floor. Is God awesome or what? Oh, thank you, God. This tent pagan tent thing, this is nothing new for her. It's a tent. There's a lot of wind in the desert. Tent peg flies up. There she comes running out there, all covered up, sand. She's just nailing that thing into the ground. She's good at this. That's what she does. She's using a household item that she uses every single day to expand the tent stinks or pull them in at night when it gets cold, open them up in the daytime for the heat. She does this all day long. And there he is, and there's what I've got. That's all I have. A little milk, he's tired, he's sleepy, and there she sits beside him. I mean, this is a movie, isn't it? Just right through to the ground, it says. He was stuck to the sand, to the dirt, to this tent bag. I mean, if he moved, he just spun like a top around this thing. I just want you guys to get the picture here. I say that because some of us aren't sure how God's ever going to use us. How's he going to use me in my condition or where I am? Oh God, I need a ministry. I need to do this. I need to do that. And so many are trying to get out and away from where God's placed them to go through something greater and better for God when all they need to do is stay put. And you'd be surprised who comes knocking on your door. God will do it. I don't know if she ever did anything else for God, but is this not the coolest story? I mean, if you're going to have something written about a housewife, Oh God, I just have this warrior spirit and here I am and all I do is take care of this tent and I've got a husband who doesn't walk with God. How are you ever going to... And she's immortalized in God's word as the one who nailed this guy's head to the ground. It was worth the wait for her. She was content where she was. Well, I don't know if she was or not, but she should have been content. God will bring her the battle. He'll bring it right to her doorstep. We don't, have to go find, we don't have to go looking for ministry. Ministry finds you. It will find you. And just do whatever's right in front of you that day. I love this. How is ever God, how's he going to use me? As gross as that was, and I'm, and I'm making this ghoulish on purpose for the laughs, okay? This is a beautiful moment for her that I don't want to take it away from her. This is a beautiful moment for her. This is a time where she's looking, she says, I have made a difference in the kingdom. I've made a difference, a big difference. I get to be the one. Not that guy, not Barak, not the most powerful warrior in the nation. I get to be the one to take the head off this snake. It's a huge deal for her. God loves her. God knew that that's what she wanted. She knew that was what's in her heart. And he says, you just wait, honey. It's another five years, but something's going to happen. I'm going to break out of your door and you're just going to, oh. It's a beautiful moment, as gross as it is, okay? So, took the tent peg and did that. And then, as Barak pursued Sisera, so he's running after her, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into the tent, there lay Sisera dead with the peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until he had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. And then we sing this song quickly in four minutes. Then Deborah and Barak, because you can't skip Deborah's song after you just talked about Deborah, right? So we got to finish this up. Thanks for bearing with me. Let's get through this though. It's, it's really cool. Then Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, sang on that day, saying, I don't know if they just spontaneity or what, but they just started singing the song. Um, they didn't sit down and write it. They just started singing it. When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. Remember that if you remember anything about this song. Willingly offer yourselves to the service of God, and it's a blessing. Hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. I, even I, will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth trembled. 
and the heavens poured, the clouds also poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord, this Sinai before the Lord God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travelers walked along uh, the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods and there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly to the people. Bless the Lord. Speak, you who ride on white donkeys, who sit in judges' attire and who walk along the road. These are the leaders. These are the political figures of the day. Donkeys don't seem much to us, but it was a big deal to them to ride on a donkey and not walk, okay? So you got to see these guys. This is the, the limousine service back then. Take, you know, listen to me, you who walk... Uh, who ride on donkeys and wear judges' attire, far from the noise of the archers among the watering places. In other words, you, you send men to battle, but you don't go yourself. You know, pay attention to this. There they shall recount the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts for his villagers in Israel. Then the people of the Lord shall go down to the gates. Awake, awake, Deborah. Awake, awake, sing a song. Arise, Barak, and lead your captives away, O son of Abinoam. Then the survivors came down, the people against the nobles. The Lord came down for me against the mighty. From Ephraim were those whose roots were in Amalek. After you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Mekir, rulers came down. And from Zebulun, those who bear the recruiter's staff. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As Issachar, so was Barak, sent into the valley under his command. Among the divisions of Reuben, there, was, there were great uh, resolves of, of heart. Okay. Um, why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the uh, pipings for the flock? Um, uh, the, um, the divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan, and why did Dan remain on ships? Asher continued at the seashore and stayed by his inlets. Zebulun is a people who jeopardized their lives to the point of death. Naphtali also on the heights of the battlefield. The kings came and fought. Then the kings of Canaan fought by Tanakh, by the waters of Megiddo. They took no spoils of silver. They fought from the heavens. The stars from their courses fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent of Kishon. O my soul, march on in strength. Then the horse's hooves pounded and galloping, galloping of his steeds. Pay attention to verse 23 here. Curse Meroz, the angel of the Lord said the angel of the Lord, curse its inhabitants bitterly because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to the help of the Lord against the mighty. We're called to that, to be doers of God's word, not hearers and not sitting back. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 50, Jesus says, those who do the will of my father are my brothers. Not those who know the will of my father, but those who do the will of my father. Those are my brothers. And later on, he says um, in Matthew 7, verse, oh, actually before that, Matthew 7, 21, he describes those who, who God says, depart from you, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. He says, it's those who do the will of the Father. Those are the ones that are going to heaven, not the ones that just know about the will of the Father. It's those who do. Um, it's very disturbing to read that. Um, are, are you doing the will of God? You've got to be a doer of it. Um, just knowing it isn't enough. Just having a Bible study isn't enough. Owning a Bible isn't enough. Knowing Scripture, getting baptized. Are you, are you doing the will of the... Are you walking with Jesus? That's what it means by walking with Jesus. Not like I'm a card-carrying Christian and I'm walking with Jesus. It means am I, am I walking in His ways? Am I doing His will wherever I go? Am I the man I'm supposed to be? Am I the woman I'm supposed to be? Am I the kids I'm supposed to be? Am I, am I doing the will of the Father? That's how you know you're saved, is by doing. That's not how you get saved. That's how you know you are saved. If you're walking with God and you're doing his will, you must be saved because you love the Father and you're doing his will. I had a guy come up to me early on in the ministry who I asked him, you know, he'd been coming for a while and I said, you know, what, you want to do anything? You want to help out around here? He goes, no, no. I just like to sit at my father's feet and play. And at the time, I was like, oh, that's very magnanimous of you. And that's, oh, that's so small and childlike faith. And I, oh, you know, and I, and I, but it bothered me. Something about it bothered me. I didn't know what it was. And then I read verses like this. It's like, you know, that's fine if you want to be infantile and play at your child's feet. But he also wants us to grow up. 
He wants us to mature as Christians and not always be at his feet. He wants us to walk, then he wants us to run, and he wants us to, to work. Um, it's important. That's part of our walk with the Lord. I'm glad that you're saved. I'm glad that maybe you know some of the Bible and you're having your quiet times. But there comes a point where that has to come into action. And we do for God. We don't just hear for God or we don't just... Um, that's part of our act of worship is by living our life for him and doing the will of God. And so, and that didn't mean just around the church. That's anywhere. That's serving out in the community. You're actually telling people about Jesus. Um, it's, it's fine to take an, evangel an evangelism class, but are you evangelizing? Do you tell people about Jesus? Do you actually hand those tracts out to somebody? Or do you, do you leave them on the gas station a pump and, and walk away from it? Or do you actually give it to someone in person and talk to them about Jesus and their opportunity to be saved? You know, it's important. Anyway, he says, curse them. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. Blessed is she among women, uh, intense, homemaker. Um, he asked for water, she gave milk. In other words, that's part of the plan. You want water? I got water, but I can give you milk, which would make you full and sleepy. A little more milk before bed. And she brought out cream in a lordly bowl. She stretched her hand to the tent peg, her right hand to the workman's hammer. She pounded Sisera, pierced his head. She split and struck through his temple. At her feet, this is a song they sing. So if you want a new worship song. <laughs> At her feet, he sank, he fell, he lay still. At her feet, he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell dead. They were excited about that moment uh, and they sing about it. You know, we get kind of soft. We're kind of soft Christians. Ooh, oh, ooh, you know. It's like these guys were writing songs about this stuff, you know. Um, it was important to them. The mother of Sisera looked through the windows and cried out through the lattice. This is his, this is, now they sing about Sisera's mom. Talk about driving it home. And I bet Sisera's mom was wondering where her son was. Wow. And she cried out through the lattice, why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarries the clatter of his chariots? Her wisest lazy ladies answered, and, and answered her. And yes, she answered herself. Why, they, why they, are they not finding and dividing the spoil? They must have really won and they're just dividing up the loot. That's what's taking them so long. Yeah, that's it. And every man a girl or two. He's, he's taking some of the Israelite girls for himself. That's the kind of woman this woman is. Sister's mom. That's the kind of enemies they're up against. Oh, maybe he's found a cute 15-year-old or cute 16-year-old. That's the kind of guy he's thinking of, okay? This is their mom. So yeah, they're going to sing about her. Yeah, they're plundering the garments and embroidered the dye. Two pieces of dyed embroidery for the neck of the looter. Thus, let all your enemies perish, O Lord, but let those who love him be like the sun when it comes out in full strength. And so the land had rest for 40 years. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Lord, as we watch this short video about the persecuted church, Lord, um, help us to be in prayer all day long for these folks, to stay in that attitude of prayer, knowing that although we have it easy here, uh, many, many don't all over the world. And so we want to lift them up to you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.